Hello everyone, it is Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival. Welcome to podcast episode number 192. And today's broadcast is going to start to touch on an area that I feel is way under-addressed in our industry. And you're actually going to be hearing me talk a lot more about it over the next couple of months. Now, I'm talking about what to do when your tactical skills aren't enough to help you or others who may be with you or around you escape an attack uninjured. Now, this is going to force you to think beyond best-case scenarios, and I promise you that you'll be far better prepared because of it. Don't worry about taking notes because we've done all the heavy lifting for you. Just go ahead and grab the free show notes and the handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet for a great reference guide for this episode over at www.mcsmagazine.com slash 192. And now, let's start the show. Bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive. If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. It's happened far too many times, and every time it does, the news and our politicians follow a very predictable cycle. A mass shooting happens, people freak out and call for gun control. Politicians on both sides of the aisle argue, everyone but the gunman gets blamed, and nothing at all changes, except that we all feel just a little bit less safe each time. Now, if you were confronted by an active shooter or even just an armed criminal in a dark parking lot, knowing how to engage that shooter and take them down is something that you've probably thought about before. But have you thought about the other side of the coin, the medical side, in terms of delivering first response aid to the wounded? If you were shot, would you know what to do before you bled out and left your family alone and in trouble? Or perhaps even more disturbing for some, would you know how to provide care for a loved one so that you're not left there watching them die slowly in your arms as you sit there helpless because you don't know what to do? Well, we're here to make sure that that scenario never happens to you. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And with us today is someone who is the perfect resource for our topic today. Please welcome Dr. David Pruitt back to the show. David, thanks for joining us, man. Great to be with you, Jeff. Always great to have you back on here. You are a wealth of knowledge, and this is one that um, this is very specific, and uh, it's it's something we've never really we've never really con- uh, done this before. So, so I'm really looking forward to this. Now, listen, everyone, if you haven't seen our our previous uh, interviews with David before. He is a residency-trained, board-certified emergency physician practicing in the Pacific Northwest. And prior to civilian practice, he spent 11 years as an emergency physician on active duty in the Navy. And before attending medical school, he spent eight years as a firefighter and EMT in Santa Cruz, California. Today, David also teaches general emergency preparedness with his special interest in field-expedient emergency medicine in extreme survival conditions. In addition, he's the lead physician at his hospital on the disaster committee and an avid ham radio operator, which this uh, intrigues me, actually. He's spoken to the International Space Station over 33 times via ham radio, and uh, and he is a survival communications trainer. Now, to learn more about David and his work, make sure that you visit him online at www.amp-3 
amp3.net. And that's amp-3.net. Now, David, uh, in this topic, when we're talking about a, a tra trauma, first aid care, especially when it comes to something from an attack, like a, a gunshot wound or knife wound or things like that, we're going we're gonna to talk about those different types. But, but it always comes, I mean, the first thing people think about is equipment. Like, what should, you know, what should you have for first aid? And so let's talk about that first. When we're talking about emergency trauma care for an injury, like from a gunshot wound, knife, knife stabbing or something like that, what are the most important uh, first aid gear components that somebody should have either on their person or something that they can quickly access to be able to give first aid? Sure. That's a great question, Jeff. And unfortunately, a very timely question if you watch the uh, news these days. And as an emergency physician, we like to keep things simple, and I'll keep it very simple for you. There's three things that you need, and I'll say three things plus, and I call it the critical triad. So I think you need to have a tourniquet, a trauma dressing, and a hemostatic agent. And the plus component is I, ideally I'd like to throw in a pair of heavy-duty nitrile gloves in that little kit just so that you've got some protection against any bloodborne uh, problems if you're taking care of somebody that's been injured. So a lot of people worry about a specific uh, tourniquet, which one do you use? I, I like to just say whatever one you're the most comfortable with, there um, are several out on the market, and I would just pick one and practice with one and make sure that you are familiar with how to use it, just like you practice with a firearm. I think you need to practice with your tourniquet. I'm a big fan of the SWAT T tourniquet because it really requires very little to no training. And if you get panicked, and most people will be panicked when they're doing this, you'll be putting the tourniquet on tighter, and that's the whole point, is a tight tourniquet is going to stop uh, hemorrhage and potentially save somebody's life. The alternative is the CAT tourniquet. That's the combat applied tourniquet. That's a very, very popular tourniquet. I don't care which one you get. You just get one and practice with one. A trauma dressing, my favorite one, is the Israeli trauma dressing. Now, why is that? That dressing was invented by an Israeli um, uh, uh, Defense Forces medic, and unfortunately, every day that dressing is used in Israel. It's a battle-proven uh, trauma dressing. It's very easy to apply. It comes vacuum-packed in a very small package. But if you want to, there's, again, there's a lot of these out on the market, and I would just say pick one and practice with it so that you're comfortable with it. So you need a tourniquet, you need a trauma dressing, and you need a hemostatic agent. And again, there's different hemostatic agents. Just pick one um, and then have that kit with you. The main thing is that you practice and have it with you when you need it. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the thing is, is those are so small that a lot of people can carry those with them, whether you carry it in a cargo pocket or there's other ways to carry it as well. But just those 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 few items are easy enough, light enough, small enough to be able to carry with you and have on your person so that when when you have to jump into action, they're there and ready for you. So Scott, let's let's talk about because when we look at we look at criminals that are out there, yes, they could be armed with a firearm. An active shooter obviously is or they're a shooter, right? Like it's you see in other in other countries where they might have a machete, they might have a knife or something like that. But we also we often have um, shooters throughout there. But a lot of street criminals don't necessarily have a firearm, but probably all of them have a knife. And I think knife wounds and knife attacks are are 
are things that most people, even concealed carry uh, guys, don't necessarily think of as as the threat or it, know how to respond to it, especially from a medical standpoint. So when we're talking about knife wounds and knife trauma, how does that differ from like a gunshot wound? Because I've even seen I've seen differing statistics, but a knife can be even deadlier than than a gunshot wound is. I mean, you, you're the expert. You've you've done this like you've seen this whether it was in active duty or whether it was in um, hospitals and in trauma care. But how does a knife wound differ from and, and its care differ from a gunshot wound? Well, I think, um, you know, once you get into the hospital setting, the, um, the, there are specific issues different from a knife wound than a gunshot wound. For instance, gunshot wound has a lot of, um, ballistic trauma that happens besides just the penetrating injury of the, of the, uh, round itself. But again, a knife, a knife wound is a penetrating wound. And I think the key thing to know about when you see a knife wound, um, someone that's been injured with a knife, you want to realize that there are many structures that are underneath that actual hole that you're looking at or that penetration. And so it can be kind of deceiving. You might see only a small little stab wound, but we like to think of however long that knife is, you make a funnel and anything in that funnel is potentially injured by that knife. So they can be very deceiving and you can have a life-threatening injury, but all you see on the surface is a small puncture wound. I think in the field, you treat them the same way. You want to stop bleeding, and you want to get that person to help right away. Both of these injuries, gunshot wounds and knife injuries, are really trauma um, system entry uh, injuries, and they really go to the operating room in their surgical um, um, uh, considerations. So what you're doing is really stabilizing as best you can and trying to prevent hemorrhage and buying time for that person so they can get to definitive care. And I think that definitive care is is part of that equation that people, especially I think with knife wounds, that might be very deceptive. With a gunshot wound, I think you kind of assume that there's internal damage, right? There's It's a gunshot wound, for God's sake. But with a knife, it might look like a small wound when you could be bleeding on the inside. And then the only difference to that, I mean, it's not like somebody's going to say, well, just let's rub some dirt on it and put a Band-Aid on it and go home. Um, well, Maybe right. maybe they would, right? Like, well, I don't think it needs stitch. I think we're good to go. But there could actually be a deeper wound. But it also it also could be the difference between saying, well, it doesn't doesn't look like it's bleeding all that much, and so I think we can get in the car and we'll take you to the hospital. Versus, no, stay there. Get you know, keep them from moving around and, and doing more damage. Do what wound care you can there, and then call nine one one and have a trained professional come out. And create and, and do care there rather than just thinking that there's nothing beyond that little puncture mark when there actually could be, right? Yeah, I think that's great advice, Jeff. So if, if you were, say, at a movie theater and some bad incident happened and, and say it was a, um, a knife attack and someone got injured and you happened to be the person that, and I, I just want to say thank you to people that watch this and want to learn how to be proactive and help their citizens, but if you're the one that steps up to the plate and goes to help that person, just realize that if you just see a small little puncture wound, that that is always very deceiving. There is always the potential for bad injury, and those people need to be assessed by professionals in a hospital setting where they can be evaluated for uh, life-threatening injuries or injuries that um, could involve other structures that could be, you know, repaired. 
So don't be deceived. I guess the message is don't be deceived by a small little puncture wound and say, put a Band-Aid on it and go home. That person needs to be fully assessed. And the only way to do that is in a hospital setting with the modalities that they have in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, everybody, listen, we're talking with Dave Pruitt of AMP-3.net about emergency trauma care following an attack injury. And we obviously have a lot more to get to, including expert assessment of life-threatening wounds and what you need to know to spring into action fast, the truth about tourniquets and how to and how not to employ them for first aid, and finally, solo treatment, how to respond when you are both the victim and the only doctor who can save your life. All that and more coming right up. But first, check out this special message. What if everything you knew about how to stop a violent attacker with your gun was wrong? Discover the advanced tactics you must know now to protect yourself and those you love with a firearm. Check out our free book, Stopping Power Secrets. Inside, you'll find such no-hold-barred shockers as 1. The three most common myths and misinformation shoveled out by movies and gun-range know-it-alls that could get you killed in a real-life gunfight. 2. The cold, hard truth about your personal weapon's ability to be a one-shot man-stopper. 3. What coroners know about selecting the right ammo for your firearm that you don't. 4. And the simple training trick used by Abrams tank crews and commercial airline pilots that will prepare you for a real attack even better than your best day at the range don't place your family's safety in the hands of hollywood fairy tales and hearsay claim your free copy of stopping power secrets now now at www.stoppingpowersecrets.com and now back to the show okay we're back with dave pruitt of amp-3.net talking about emergency trauma care for injuries sustained from an attack and we have a bunch more to get to. So let's go ahead and jump back into it now. All right, Dave, so let's let's say that the the unthinkable has happened. Let's say it's an active shooter situation and we have casualties around us. It could it could also be a situation where I'm wounded or a family member is wounded in a, in a violent attack, whether stabbed or shot. But it really comes down to and I think we've seen this mostly in like like uh, television emergency room dramas, but it's the assessment of of how do you know what wound to go to first or um, do first aid on first, but it's that assessment that really can um, can throw a lot of people, especially when you're, when you've got the adrenaline going and everything. And it's like, what do I do? What do I do? And so what are your, your best tips when it comes to the attack is over and I have to assess either multiple casualties or the person, just my loved one that's with me, what's the best way to go about assessing, um, trauma care for somebody that's injured? Sure, that's a great question, Jeff. And I like how you put me in that situation in that the um, the threat is already over. And I'll preface that by saying you always want to have situational awareness. You want to always be thinking of scene safety. You want to be thinking of safety for yourself and safety for the people that you're taking care of. So that's always in the back of your mind. And even if you think that the scene is safe, Always have your radar up and be thinking about um, potential dangers that you're not aware of. For people that are not trained to assess trauma, um, I would say it's going to be very, very obvious to you what you need to do first, and that is stop the bleeding. That's going to kill someone first. And uh, you want to you want to start. The whole point of the conversation we're having right now is dealing with hemorrhage from either gunshot wound or 
uh, knife attack. And the treatment for that is apply pressure, make a decision if you need to apply a tourniquet. I would say if you look at the wound and it's bleeding very heavily, and if you see pulsatile bleeding, and that'll be pretty obvious. That'll look like a squirt of blood coming out. Um, that needs to be stopped. And the best way to stop that is to apply a tourniquet. And you apply a tourniquet between the wound and the heart. So, for example, if I was injured on my arm um, here, I would apply the tourniquet right here. So I want to stop the, the, the blood flow going to that injury. That can be life-saving for people, and it's something that you should practice with. And if you're using a firearm, you really need to have at close um, access a little trauma kit that has that tr- critical triad that we talked about earlier. Yeah. So just the people that are listening <laughs> that didn't see where, where Dave was talking about. So if you have like an injury on your oh. forearm, and let's say you're stabbed on your forearm and the bleeding won't stop, you might actually have to put a tourniquet on above the elbow because, and, and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, David, but like if, if it's, if it's close to the elbow, like if they might say like two to four inches above the wound or something like that. But if that, if that spot is located like where your elbow is, that's not a great place for a tourniquet. You're not going to necessarily get the, the soft tissue compression that you might need to be able to stay, you know, to stop the bleeding to that area. Correct. Yeah. You ask great questions, Jeff. Yeah. I, in that scenario, I would put the tourniquet directly over the middle of the bicep where you get that maximum soft tissue and you can apply the maximum compressive pressure to stop that bleeding. And that's another reason why I like the SWAT T tourniquet. If you have an injury that's very high up in the groin, that is really the only uh, tourniquet that I'm aware of because of its stretch and elasticity that can get up high in the groin, right up high over the hip, and apply pressure in that femoral artery. So that's another plus for that particular type of uh, tourniquet. Yeah. Yeah, let's... um. You know, so, something that nobody wants to really think about is what if I get shot? And again, we see this with concealed carry guys, right? They always think for the best case scenario, bad guy tries to attack me. Not so fast there, Mr. Bad Guy. I have my gun. I shoot him. He goes down. I'm the hero. But what if I'm shot? Like people don't think about that. What if I'm the one shot, uh, even if I did take out the bad guy? But um, it's that it's that solo trauma care that can save your life. Uh, and so what about, what do I need to know when it comes to um, what procedures should I follow to assess the severity of the wound and give myself treatment if I'm the one who is both the victim and the doctor? Great. Yeah, that, that's an awesome question. And that kind of completes the loop of this whole thought process. And I've listened to your podcast and you, you guys talk and train about, um, quick action drills, what to do if this happens, do this. And I think you always have to assume that you are going to be a victim at some point and you're going to be injured. And with that mindset, you want to practice self-care. So what we've been talking about before this particular question is something called buddy care. If you're in the military, you train for not only buddy care, but you're obligated to provide self-care until someone can come to your aid and provide buddy care for you. And that's why you carry that equipment on your vest or your belt is that is your life-saving equipment. In fact, if someone came to help you, they're going to grab the gear off your vest because the items on their vest are for them if someone needs to help them. 
So self-care is very critical. And I, I'm an advocate of if you start, first of all, get that uh, critical triad that we talked about. Get a tourniquet, get a trauma dressing, get a hemostatic agent, throw a pair of gloves in there, put them in a bag. And I'm going to go one step farther and say get two of them. Mark one of them training, and the other one is the one that you tuck away for if something happens. And whenever we go to the range, we always pull out a training set, and we'll decide today is the day we're going to practice putting on a uh, tourniquet. Or the next time we go to the range, we practice putting on a trauma dressing. If you do that with your range buddies, every time you go to the range, over a cycle of going to the range, you will have practiced over and over and over again buddy aid. Then take it one step farther. You start practicing some action drills. Say, hey, today I'm going to practice self-aid. I want you guys to watch me. I'm going to put the tourniquet on myself. And trust me, the first few times you do that, you're all, uh, it's all uh, fingers and you're fumbling and it's difficult to do. But every time you do it, you get better at it. Just like every time you shoot, you get better at it. And eventually you'll get to the point where you can quickly grab that tourniquet and apply it and provide self-aid for yourself. And then practice putting on a trauma dressing. You can put on a trauma dressing by yourself. Um, I, I don't know if Jeff has seen us in um, some of these uh, trade shows like PrepperCon, but I actually do a class, um, and I show people how to not only do buddy aid but also self-aid, and I'll demonstrate that on the stage. And sometimes I'll even have someone come up, and we'll practice doing that together so they can get a feel of what that's like. But I think if you're going to the range – practice these skills just like you're practicing your shooting skills so let me ask you this this is uh, i hadn't really thought about this before but very similar to when you're on an airplane and if the oxygen masks come down and you're supposed to put your oxygen mask on like before your before your loved one uh to make sure that you're conscious that he'll take care of them i guess but the same thing goes i guess if there's uh if i'm if i'm injured and my loved one is injured. Is it, I mean, obviously if I have a nick on my finger and they have a sucking chest wound, it's a totally different story. But, um, is there, is there anything like, should I always assess my own injuries first, uh, to see if I need care or I, I it seems like it's a moving target. I know it seems like a really hard question, but are there any sort of like right. best practices for, for ha- assessing that if I'm, if I'm first before a loved one? Well, that is a very cool question. I, I, I have a passion for these things and I like to, you know, I like to, um, this is always a favorite topic, um, you know, uh, when we're out at one of these shows at dinner with, with other folks. Um, so that, I don't know that there's any studies or anything for that particular scenario that you, uh, talk about, but I think it brings, it brings up this whole situational awareness. And when you're, when you have situational awareness, you start thinking about scenarios. And that scenario you'd have to think about to yourself. If I'm injured and I'm bleeding and my loved one is injured and bleeding, who do I take care of first? I don't know that there's a right answer, but I think you want to say to yourself, I I look at it as your airline with the oxygen mask um, analogy. And I would, um, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I would quickly try to stop the bleeding on myself so that I'm going to have a little better chance maybe of helping my loved one. You're not going to be doing yourself any favor if you're active and moving around and hemorrhaging and your loved one is injured or maybe they're not able to care for you. So I, I think my answer, and I'm happy to have someone criticize me, 
would be to provide self-aid first, and then if I can muster and rally to the situation, then start providing aid to my loved one or someone that's around me that needs help. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. The other the other thing I think people should um you know this is maybe another another level, maybe it's the next level, um, is to also can you do these things with only one arm? Or what if you can't walk? Um, especially if you have to tie a tourniquet on your own arm and you realize that pretty soon you're gonna have a very numb arm. It's not bleeding anymore, thank goodness, but you might be down to only one arm trying to trying to give care. And you've been talking about tourniquets and one of the things that with the new types of tourniquets that we have, that they can be done with one hand. They can be done with one hand on yourself or with one hand on somebody else. So choosing your equipment, like you've talked about, um, a lot of those things, when you're, when you're thinking about it, being able to do them with one hand is where people have gone with the development of the technology when it comes to emergency medical supplies. So that makes a, that's a, that makes a lot of sense. Right. So cool. Awesome. I, I thought I thought about this que- I thought about this question um, on your. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think the most recent podcast 191. Uh, first of all, kudos for 191. That's awesome. Um, the uh, you talk about uh, one-handed um, shooting um, injury and and yeah, and now you have one one arm. God forbid it. You're now dealing with weak arm tactics. Um, you absolutely have to practice putting these. Um, or you have to practice initiating self-aid with weak arm, strong arm, just like you do with, uh, with your gun training. I, 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 I think that if you're operating a firearm, if you are a concealed carry person, and I think that that requires a certain personal commitment, I think you take it to the next level. Part of that commitment is that you recognize that you may, for whatever reason, be in a situation where you might get injured or someone else might get injured, and you better practice and be aware of how to take care of a injury to somebody else or yourself so that you can be, you know, as safe and effective as possible. Yeah. Great advice. Preach to the choir. I love I love it. This is awesome. Uh, this is that's that's the exact message we are really trying to get out to people. And the techniques that you talked about today are a really good step in getting people to think differently about it, but also in in knowing how to take action on it. And that's that's awesome. Listen, everyone, uh, this is this is really critical life saving information that a lot of people just never even address. And fortunately, David has really an incredible uh, DVD on this topic. He he talks about these at Prepper Prepper shows as well, you know, for emergency preparedness as well as just on his site. You'll find a lot of great information. I urge you to go over and check out his website. Again, it's www.amp-the number three.net. Go check it out. He's got a lot more training over there. You can get access to uh, the different. He has different things that you uh, are recommendations for different types of gear. You can get types of different different types of gear. And uh, definitely go check it out. So uh, well worth your while. Again, it's www.amp-3.net. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com.
lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.